Kia ora koutou, welcome to the panel, RNZ National, Wallace Chapman here, Linda Hallinan and Mark Sainsbury uh, with me today. Well, first today, what's going on with the weather? What's happened to spring? A polar blast is making its way up the country, sending temperatures plummeting. Many parts of the South Island are blanketed in heavy snow and it's just rolled into Wellington where snow could even fall in the CBD. Uh, do text us uh, 2101 if you've had an unseasonable dump at your place. Um, snowing in Pine Hill, uh, we've got a text to Justin and uh, with us right now is Bruce in Otipori, Dunedin. Kia ora, Bruce. Good afternoon, Wallace. How are yeah, you doing? Good. How about you? Uh, well, we've just had a bit of a polar blast come through in the last half hour. We've uh, got snow on the ground now, and uh, yeah, it's bitterly cold. Wouldn't I oh, didn't even very well. It doesn't snow too often done us these days, does it? No, it hasn't snowed, and we haven't had snow on the ground for, for quite a wee while. Um, so no, it's a, a bit of a rarity. Um, and I'm looking straight down the harbour, and uh, yes, it's looking very murky and, and uh, settling on the hills uh, around the city. All right, so what is it? It's a case of wrapping up, keeping warm, the hot water bottle? Uh, well, I don't know about the hot water bottle, the electric blanket and, and the heaters are on and uh, there'll, be, there'll be a nice warm meal uh, cooked by me uh, shortly. Oh, nice. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for being with us. And with us is new uh, meteorologist Ben Noll. Ben, welcome. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So what's the latest, Ben? Where's the coldest place right now? Yeah, so a lobe of the tropospheric polar vortex is moving up the country right now, and that's just a technical way of saying it's very cold. And I can confirm that the uh, maximum temperature in Invercargill today, 6.1 degrees, and that makes it the equal third coldest October day on record in Invercargill since records began in 1905. And that's a statement because nowadays we see so many warm temperature records, the the colder records are are being uh, broken or or reached uh, a few and farther between. So pretty impressive for Invercargill. Dunedin, it's been only 8.2 degrees the maximum today. The October average is 14.9. Christchurch, the maximum temperature has been 9 degrees. That happened between midnight and 1 a.m. early this morning. and It's just been a steady decline in Christchurch through the day. And lastly, Wellington, our climate station dropped from 15.8 degrees uh, around 2 p.m. to uh, 8.9 degrees just 30 minutes later. Well, it's lucky I left Wellington then. Is that what you're saying to us? Because <laughs> you wouldn't have seen snow too much in Wellington in the no. last 20 years. And there was talk of it snowing there this afternoon. Yeah, that's right. And of course, I had to come up here and join you, Wallace. Which yeah. was, uh, but my, and I've got a dear, dear friend of mine, Jim Aitchison, who's out walking my dog as we speak. And, and of course, there's all those things. It's so much harder, the colder it is, to actually get the energy to get outside. Yeah. And aren't we supposed to be heading into summer, Ben? <laughs> yeah, well, that's usually what happens as we go from October through November. We see warming temperatures. This is a, a bit of a, an unusual period of colder than average temperatures. It will be short-lived. Um, and, and our expectation, frankly, as we go through the next couple of weeks and months, is that warmer average, warmer than average temperatures will be uh, the rule. So uh, this is maybe a bit of an aberration, okay. um, and we will see things warm up. Oh, Linda, are you a, can you handle the cold, or are you definitely a heat person? 
Oh, look, I hate the cold as a gardener because it just, you know, oh, it, right. there's nothing you can grow when it's cold. But I've got to say my mates are actually doing, doing the rail trail and through central Otago. They've taken all their kids <laughs> off on school holidays. I'm like, poor buggers, man. Can you think how cold it's going to be? Oh, my be? God. <laughs> That's, Aucklanders I, out of their habitat. I, I'm picturing that right uh. now. The kids saying, let's get out of this rail trail. Ben, it's not finished <laughs> with us yet. What's the forecast over the next day or two? Yeah, look, as we go through tonight, uh, we are expecting those very low snow levels. Places like Christchurch and Banks Peninsula, the second half of the night tonight, really take care. I mean, it's probably not a great time to be out on the roads as we yeah. see snow to very low levels. Similar story for Wellington, especially points east on a bit of a knife edge there. There is going to be some snow, but it could end up just a little bit east of the city. But nevertheless, if you are traveling overnight into tomorrow morning, uh, snowy roads, just very unusual for October. So just bear that in mind um, that Things, uh, things are pretty atypical for the time of year. Even if this was July, uh, this would probably be you know a little bit colder than even the average July day. Good on you, Ben. Thanks for being with us. NIWA meteorologist Ben Noll there. 12 to pass four from polar stream to educational streaming. Uh, actually, no, that's very soon. We talk about that in about five minutes. But this first, it's um, reported a small treasury has reported a smaller than forecast budget deficit of $9.7 billion. A strong rise in tax revenue and slower growth in spending has delivered the government a much better financial position than expected. Final accounts for the year ended June show a deficit of $9.7 billion, compared with forecasts in May of a deficit of more than $19 billion. And this afternoon, the Reserve Bank raised the official cash rate by 50 basis points to 3.5%, as expected, as the eighth consecutive rise by the RBNZ to get inflation under control. With us is Michael Gordon, the Senior Economist at Westpac. Well, Michael, welcome. Good afternoon. So it takes what the it takes the OCR to its highest level since mid-2015. Explain this for us, unpack this for us. What's it going to mean uh, for New Zealanders, Michael? Well, the general thrust here is about um, getting interest rates up high enough to really have enough breaking effect on the economy to um, ultimately get inflation back down to something that we'd consider low and stable. And that's a process that's going to, it's really expected to take a couple of years because these things always, always had lags in them. Um, but we've been going through this process of a while, for a while mm. of the Reserve Bank, putting up the cash rate in increments. They, they kind of, it's an uncertain world, so they have a general plan about where they think they need to be, but they'll do it in steps and check as they go, and we're just seeing the continuation of that. They're still sort of looking at the economy and confirming that, yep, yeah, we've still got a pretty ugly inflation picture, um, so they're carrying through with that, that plan uh, of continuing to raise interest rates. Oh, good explainer. So it's kind of a hand-breaking mechanism, uh, interest rates rise, um, but we don't know uh, in the next 12 months how much further they're going to rise? Um, no, I mean, there's, I guess, a range of opinions in the market. They're usually um, with a four in front of them to some degree. Uh, the Reserve Bank itself didn't really put a number on it today, and that's understandable. They haven't done their full uh, forecast round this time around, so it's kind of hard to talk about work that they haven't done yet. Uh, but generally, uh, the, the vibe is that they, uh, they still feel like they've got quite a bit of a way to go. So they're at 3.5% now. Uh, they notably the the committee actually talked about whether they wanted to to increase it by half a percent or step it up and go to three quarters of a percent as as some of the um, oh. their overseas counterparts have done. Um, and the the without sort of them being explicit about it, but the logic behind that. Um, 
that's something you're more likely to consider if you think you're a long way from where you need to be. Let's um, bring in the panel, uh, Michael, uh, Linda, you first. Um, what's your take on this? All questions. Yeah, well, my questions rather than my take, not being an economist. But, Michael, what sort of advice then do you give people, you know, if you're an employer and you've got your staff sort of asking for pay rises and at the same time people have got mortgages and those are going up, you know, what's the general economic outlook for, you know, just average people? Well, um, to be maybe a little bit mercenary about this, I think individuals should act in their own interests. Um, so um, there is, there, you know, there's no reason for, um, an individual worker, for instance, to restrain their own uh, sort of wage demands uh, because if they do it and everyone else doesn't, then you miss out. Really, this, I mean, this is kind of a, it's, it's an economy-wide issue, the extent of inflation pressures. And we have, you know, you kind of need a, some to kind of coordinate the, the, the slowing or the cooling the economy that's needed. And that coordinator is the Reserve Bank. We don't need individuals to do anything differently. We just need them to respond to the, uh, the interest rate signals that they get. Ah, so act in self-interest, uh, ask for that pay rise. <laughs> hey, Michael, can you explain this to me? They've said, OK, they're expecting a deficit of $19 billion and it comes in at about 10 So they think, oh, is that good news? But we've still got a $10 billion deficit. So is it still good news or is it just not as bad as news as it could have been? It's, I mean, it's still not great. I mean, we've got an economy that's running pretty strong. Our export prices are, are still pretty good. Um, you might think that there's, you know, there's probably not many circumstances where the fiscal accounts look better than this. Uh, you know, if, if we're talking about slowing the economy in the next few years, then um, you know that's we're probably the best has passed in terms of the, uh, the the tax revenue growth, for instance. So it's not really an ideal starting point. And I guess the other issue um, that the the government will be facing, and will get. Um, you know, if not at next year's budget, then certainly at the um, the update that comes in December, um, is that inflation really hurts the government too. They're they're seeing big increases in the cost of delivering services, and they're probably going to be looking at really having to um, up the spending versus what they were expecting back in the in the last budget. Um, not not because it's an election year, it's because what's in the tin at the moment is not going to cover inflation. They would have to cut services to, to stick to that number. Right. Hey, Michael, uh, sorry. I don't think it's going to happen. Just one, this is self-interest. I've got a mortgage, Wallace, I mean, a lot, of, yeah. a lot of people have got mortgages. So Westpac, you know, like all the other banks, has lent out money to people. Now, there was, there was a lot of restrictions. Banks have been far more cautious over the last few years in terms of lending. So do you foresee... Any problems, any pressure on mortgage holders? Mm. Um, well, I, mean, I think a lot of those precautions are around um, avoiding the pressure on meeting the mortgage payments. Uh, so, for instance, all of the banks will have there's the, the rate you borrow at, but they'll also run a test rate. So, we do, um, I believe it's sort of 2.5% above the rate you're actually borrowing at, and there'll be a test that sort of says that there's enough in the, um, uh, you know, out of your income to be able to service that if that were to happen. Uh, someone who, who took out a mortgage a year ago is probably um, on or ending up on that test rate now. Um, but of course, that's a test about whether you can meet the mortgage payments so you don't lose the house. It's not a test of um, how much you have left over to pay for the gotcha. services and so on. Michael, kia ora. Thank you for your time. Michael Gordon there, the senior economist uh, at uh, Westpac. 19 past four, the panel. Thanks for joining in. Streaming in schools. Were you in streamed classes? You might. Um, Try and recall that. Love to hear from you. You can email the panel at rnz.co.nz or text me 2101.
And did it help your learning or did it not? The Secondary Teachers Union, the PPTA, says grouping students into low and high ability classes is racist, it's harmful, and it wants it stopped by 2030. David Pomeroy is a lecturer at the University of Canterbury. He's been researching this issue for a while now. Kia ora, David. Tēnā koutou. First up, how widespread these days is streaming in schools? How many schools in Aotearoa would still have streaming? So we don't know exactly, but the best data we have is that it's over 90%, and that's talking about secondary schools. We have even less data about primary schools. I suspect that number may be lower now. That data is a few years old, and we're currently doing a survey to get the most accurate picture we've ever had. Good heavens. Should be early next year, but we, we really don't know exactly. So the vast majority uh, of schools is uh, streaming still. Um, why a greater or lesser extent in some subjects. In yes. some subjects. Explain to us why it's considered so controversial. Well, it's considered controversial because, well, it is so widespread, but because time and again research shows that students in low classes lose self-belief, even with the most encouraging teachers, simply the fact of being in that class lowers your self-confidence because you're getting a negative message about your own academic capability because of you're in what, what students will call a cabbage class. Teachers don't call it that, but students do. Also, the students in those low classes don't have the same opportunities as they peer, as their peers. They're learning different materials, so they fall behind. I know. I know the panel. We're enforcing disparities. The, the, the panel of wanting to jump into this as well, but here I have. I've got a child, you know, Jill, Jack, and they are showing a lot of promise. And we, as parents, want them to put in the best class that they can possibly be in. They're high achievers, so they're worried about um, the sort of uh, classmates, I guess, that they are with. Is it only natural for parents to want the best and say, OK, we want them to be uh, along the likes of uh, my son or daughter? Yeah, absolutely. Streaming. And I mean, I've got three children. We all, we all want the best for our children. But it's actually a really common misconception that non-stream classes are kind of sacrificing high-achieving students. The kinds of things you see in great mixed ability classes actually really stretch all students intellectually, including... Uh, students who have a history of high achievement. So, yeah, there's a real misconception that we're somehow letting down our highest achievers by doing away with streaming because the research shows that they continue to do well, but there's this huge benefit for students who would have been kind of marginalised in lower classes. Hey, David, was streaming designed? Because you could could look at it two ways, couldn't you? You could say, okay, here are some students who are struggling or may not be score as high as the other students. You would think they are the ones that need the most help. So we'll set up streaming to make sure we put all the best teachers in the lower classes. My experience of going through a school which was streaming was if you're in the top classes, you've got the best teachers. And you're right, the cabbage, there's the thickies, the eldest, or they got put into that and they're abandoned. So was it always designed to look after the bright students? Because you could imagine the system actually being designed for the opposite, but I very much doubt it. And I don't know why it was, no one can say why it was designed the way it was, but the outcome is that it further reinforces those disparities. So you're right, the students in top classes tend to get a richer curriculum, they get more challenging, more interesting work, and they're pushed harder because teachers have high expectations of them. They have high expectations because they've been identified as high-achieving students. But David, so it, here, it just becomes a vicious cycle. Here's one. I set a test in Form 2, 1967, to enter Hamilton Girls High. This is normal. I was a high achiever and benefited from being in the A class. So 
I don't know if you benefited as much as you think you did. <laughs> is the answer there. You, you probably would have done fine in any class. Right. Linda. Yeah. Isn't it just ridiculous? I mean, actually, when you look at this at face value, it's like, hey, let's take the kids that can't learn and make it harder for them by putting them all together. And then let's just pamper the ones that don't need our help. I mean, it's actually nuts that it's lasted as long as it has. I mean, I think you know, my kids go to a very small school, so it's very difficult. But our classes are composite classes. So half the year fours are in one class and half are in the other class. And, it, and it's so fundamentally obvious to all of the parents. Like, if your kid is in the class that's learning with the year below, they learn less than if your kids are in the class with the kids that are a year older, they learn at a different rate. And I mean, actually, kids learn differently anyway. And I think, you know, just from a societal point of view, isn't it better that kids who can learn are in with kids that can't learn so that together they can learn that people learn differently? So going forward, you know, you're not always going to be surrounded by high achievers. If you are, you're probably going to Kings, you know what I mean? And that sort of person. But if you're actually going to be out there in a normal society with a mix of people, it makes no sense at all to say, oh, you're too stupid. We're going to put you in a D class because sometimes they even have them like A, B, C and D. It's mad. I've heard that too. We were talking in the uh, the newsroom about that, you know, the, the, some of the names that these uh, classes had. Here's one. Myself and three others battled to be the bottom of the top stream in Tauranga Boys in the 80s. It was actually uh, quite soul-destroying. And I can imagine too, David, that's the other part of it, eh? If you are, um, if you are well, well, how would you say, labelled, I guess, and you are put in a class which isn't in the top tiers, it can have, I can imagine, a considerable effect on you. Oh, absolutely. It can really knock student self-confidence. And what just blows me away when I... So I spend a lot of time talking to students about this in the research we're doing at the University of Canterbury, and they remember they remember exactly what class they were in years ago and take that on as an identity. And in answer to your earlier question, Linda, is it ridiculous? It sort of is, but it sort of isn't in the sense that streaming makes sense from the point of view of you know, delivering a curriculum that we see as appropriate for particular children but the thing is that that limits children. We don't. We we act as if we know what children are capable of, and we don't. Can I just by bring, streaming them? We provide a okay. Can, can that I, keeps them in a particular place. David, can I bring in one more thing? I know we've got time for time. We've got to come back to this. Actually, there's quite a bit of uh, interest in this. Charlie says having a teen who needed extended maths was greatly helped by streaming. The maths teacher only wanted to teach extension maths. The class was small and they could all concentrate at the same level without being bored every day. And I know that you've done some research into maths. So I have. And what I hear a lot from students in extension classes is that they feel like everyone else is smarter than they are. They feel out of place. So I, I can't deny an individual story. Some people have great experiences in top classes and there are fantastic teachers of top classes. Of course there are. But the reality is a lot of students feel out of place and they're often those classes are actually huge. Right. So they, they don't have such good um, ratios. But what you really have to ask yourself is if that program was so stimulating and so enriching for that child, which I, I can't deny that's their story, yeah. Why couldn't we do that for the rest of the kids in the school? Kia ora, David. Because we have limited expectations. Really we interesting. Really don't know what they can be capable of. Yeah, we've got a big response to this. We'll have to sort of uh, do a take two on this. But for now, David <laughs> Pomeroy, <laughs> um, kia ora. Uh, he is a lecturer at uh, Canterbury University.
27 past four, a new show coming to your screens. Not the first show to garner controversy. You have Love Island, Married at First Sight NZ. But the casting controversy surrounding F-Boy has led to people asking what role a public broadcaster should play. One contestant had to be edited out. TVNZ missed the history of contestant Wade Moore's serious court charges as a team. Back in 2019, MediaWorks also had to edit a contestant out at Married at First Sight NZ who faced charges of domestic abuse, violence rather. Now, this show called F-Boy Island, use your imagination about what the F stands for. This is from the US version. Women have been forced to tolerate the manipulative douchebaggery of F-Boys for far too long. And that's why we're here. Welcome to F-Boy Island. Ladies, the three of you are hoping to find love in this tropical paradise. What you should know, there are 24 men. 12 of them are nice guys. The other 12, self-proclaimed F-Boys. He's really cute, but he looks like he's going to ruin my life. Not exactly close up, is it, Mark? No, I just went, would you be an F-Boy? I would be. I don't. I, whew, I. I don't even know how to respond to that. I'm actually genuinely shocked, though, Wallace, because when you explained what it was, because I did not know. F. I thought, oh, what's that? Is it fun boy? And, and I thought, surely not. Yeah, they're surely not going to name a show, even even if they're sort of disguising it with just a letter with an expletive. In is the title. this the lowest of the low? You, you're ex TVNZ. Oh, these are your new partners, Wallace. <laughs> this could have been an RNZ production. I mean, it does. Watch your mouth on the panel, Mark. <laughs> Look, it's 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 yeah. You know, they, they have more and more. I mean, that shows get more and more controversial, if you like, because as terrestrial TV or or not even terrestrial anymore, but free to air television is just competing. So you're going to get more and more sort of extreme programs. But this thing. Oh, this is yeah, and you see the danger. Well, isn't it? The danger. Well, Linda, so the idea of the show. Oh my Three women Look, to I determine can... whether 20 men are F boys, just into the casual sex well, or let me nice tell guys. You, I yeah. don't even have to be, I don't even have to wear a bikini or be cast onto the show to tell you that all of the self proclaimed F boys are indeed F boys. And you don't even need to go to the hassle of, of filming an entire show to show it. I remember when this first came on air as an ad, you know, seeking contestants. And my husband and I were sitting on the couch and, you know, granted we're middle-aged, we were sitting there and it came up and it, and it said F Boy Island. And I said, what the F? Like, are you kidding me? Are they serious about this? And they are. How is this crap getting made? That's all I can say. How? Yeah, well, okay, Linda, do you believe... It offends me as a woman. It offends me yeah. as a middle-aged feminist, I can tell you that much. It's like, right. it's literally, let's take a group of guys who, who think it's funny that they disrespect women and make them famous? I mean, please. Okay, so what would you say to the state broadcaster? I'd say bloody well commission a gardening show. You know, <laughs> teach people to grow their own food and, and have something positive. Like, why can't we have positive shows anywhere? Why does it all have to be this trash? Hey, well, see, and I know a... that makes me sound like I'm ranting, but it's true. No, no, that's an interesting point, actually, because when you think about it, garden shows were incredibly popular in this country. They were. And, oh, and yes, they were. They attract old people. They attract old people. Old people and not young people. Old people watch TV1. Old people oh, watch TV3, free to air TV. The audience, I'd imagine, would be a lot older. You think, why don't they cater that audience? 
I mean, there's two things here. Why run something, a piece of trash like F, F-Boy? But then again, whatever happened to the gardening shows of old? I'm, I'm just trying to think. Isn't I'm not the trying to... that they're making the trash? It's not that they're airing the trash. It's that they've made the decision to spend money making the trash. Like, I don't have any problem if you, if you want to air international trash. You know, <laughs> air one of the international versions. But why would you spend time and resources right. just any, literally producing this garbage? Any insight on air money in this one, do we know? Well, we somehow doubt it. Surely, um, uh, diversity. Thoughts on that? Text me two one zero one. Should uh, F Boy have a role uh, in the, um, on the media media landscape? Uh, on oh, you know, we've got to move on, Mark. But it does. But it does. Yeah. Wallace raised the question: What is going to happen after next year when you have? Two brands, if I can call it that. I mean, something like that people I know in this organisation would just be apoplectic about. So yeah, that whole thing over merging the, whole thing of merging the cultures, there's going to be a huge amount of work to be done. The F-Boy panel, hmm. Very interesting stuff. Linda Hallinan and Mark Sainsbury uh, on the show. Loving your company this afternoon. Thank you so much for uh, all your feedback.